Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. Deals, mergers, and acquisitions are a key mechanism as health organizations look to enter new markets, differentiate their value propositions, and ultimately achieve their growth strategies. Despite a less than favorable economic environment, the health industry has seen some major headlines in this space this year. I'm here today with Binamic's Sean Martin, Kevin Fletcher, and Mindy McGrath to better understand what's driving these deals and what leaders should be thinking about to maximize their value. Welcome back, Kevin, and so glad that we could finally get you on the podcast, Sean. Yeah, I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. I'm so ready to get into this. So we're here today to talk about overall deal, deal acquisition, uh, mergers and acquisitions. I think as we step back and think through kind of what's gone on around us the last couple of years, 2021, there's been such a peak in deals, especially within the health industry. And then 2022 hit this period of uncertainty, a lot of recession fears and a lot of thoughts around increased interest rates, rising inflation, all of that concern around, will we going to hit the government debt ceiling again? And here we are in 2023, and I think a lot of those investment challenges remain, but there's a potential period for being optimistic about what's ahead. We do see still a little bit of a a slower pace of investments, but some of that is rebounding. We also see a lot of pressure on valuations. And what all that means is I think there's signs that more deals are coming, especially as we close out 2023 and get ready for 2024. That's important because a lot of our clients and companies are looking to get a bit of a boost in the stagnant market that will help them you know, reach certain goals or really help drive to that overall healthcare convergence that we've talked about. That's right, Sean. And I'd say too, even with the pace of deals slowing down this year, we've still seen some kind of blockbuster of deals of sorts and the multi-billion dollar range still hitting the market. So I'm thinking about Kaiser's acquisition of, of Geisinger, And then there was also CVS's acquisition of Oak Street and Signify. If we think about the Kaiser deal with with Geisinger, you have two large organizations, one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast, coming together really to double down on value-based care. That's going to be a trend that we continue to see as deals pick up early next year and into later 2024. If we talk about CVS, they were in the news reporting net income of over $2 billion. And a lot of that was also seen to be contributing to their successful acquisition of, of Signify and Oak Street. So again, seeing how some of this inorganic growth can really help contribute to the financial bottom line, CVS seems to be doing that well today. And so it'll really be interesting to see how the progress of their integration goes in the near future. I can't help to think that the broader topic of convergence that we are seeing in the marketplace, you know, these partnerships, alliances, and then these types of deals and mergers and integrations, a lot of these deals are being done part and parcel because of convergence and some of those drivers around it, like trying to get closer to the consumer, driving the ability to spread more risk, taking advantage of the advancements of technology. But when I think about like why all of this convergence is happening, at the end of the day, It is about expanding capabilities to derive greater value in an organization. 
Mindy, great point about the macro trend of convergence. And when I bumped that up against, Kevin, the headlines you were talking about, it makes sense to me that we're seeing some of these mega deals, right? When you look at the guys in their example or the CVS example. I'm curious, though, outside of maybe the health services space where this really compelling value story has had to be having these new types of activity to get into new avenues, build new capabilities. Are we seeing other big deals in the broader health industry? On the whole, we saw a lot of corrections and valuations. But if we were to kind of look into the life sciences sector, I think what we see is there are definitely pockets where there's an increase in interest and investments. And in certain areas, we're seeing huge deals coming through. Back in March, we saw Pfizer's acquisition of CGen, 49 billion. That's with a B, one of the largest deals we've seen in the pharmaceutical space. And more recently, we saw the closing of Amgen's acquisition of Horizon Therapeutics, 27 billion in deal value. So there are some big deals out there being done. And I think if we take a look at life sciences in particular, some of these deals are representing ability to really build out pipelines further amid all of the potential loss of exclusivity coming up for certain companies. We are seeing this as really a way to rebuild that roadmap and definitely pockets, pockets within oncology, immunology, precision therapeutics space, and some others. But that's where we're seeing a lot of these deals still persist and the interest behind it. And with that goes the money and investments. Whether it's a deal to build out a pipeline or to build out a new set of capabilities, the decision to pursue this type of strategy is not a small endeavor for these organizations. Sean, what are the things that industry leaders should be keeping top of mind as they're looking into potential deals, mergers, acquisitions, or partnerships? As we look around, you know, I think we see our, the leaders in this space really being intentional about how they approach and account for this type of inorganic growth. And what that means is having structures, part of their organizations ready to handle M&A deals. So it's no longer kind of going out and treating them as a one-off. They've got corporate development shops with these structures in place and really thinking about how they view these deals as something more than a transactional relationship. And the way they do that is starting with the why, making sure that deal rationale is really well thought out. It complements a strategy. And with M&A, you always have that focus on value, but even more so given this time of additional scrutiny on deals, especially with public markets being closed and private markets being somewhat there, but getting the extra cautious or due diligence put around it, it's even more so important to ensure that threats to that value are discovered early in the deal process and deal flow. And then as you traverse the deal life cycle, minimizing that value erosion. So really bringing focus to why we're doing the deal and what the deal value is and with that comes the topic of synergies and making sure you've got the synergies accounted for and ownership laid out to ensure that they're carried through, not just tucked away in a spreadsheet somewhere. All of this kind of being top of mind to have that focus on the people and the talent. They are the true assets being acquired or merged or part of the joint venture. So you really need to think about how you're approaching that issue. And I think the good leaders we do see having this focus. It really varies too. We talk about different deal types mergers, acquisitions, joint ventures, partnerships. There's so many. There's nuances that need to be managed for each depending on which deal type you're talking through. 
I can imagine with decisions of this scale, the the devil can really be in the details and working through all of those nuances and considerations. At Dynamic, we talk a lot about how important it is to translate strategy into action to really achieve the desired results. So I'm curious, Kevin, once organizations have done their due diligence, they've gone through all this thoughtfulness that Sean outlined. What are they actually doing to make sure that these deals are the most successful and really maximize the return? As we think about some of the more mature organizations that have built structures and mechanisms to really manage their deal pipeline and execute on their strategy appropriately, it really comes down to three different themes of activities across the deal continuum. One is really focusing on strategic planning, starting with the end in mind and making sure that they're diligent and plotting the course to get there. We may find that some of the more immature organizations may have an initial deal hypothesis or or thesis around what's going to happen, but they don't really keep track of of that strategy and, and manage it from end to end. The other area of focus is really around just operational transformation and really accounting for the operating model needs of the new organization that's evolving. Sometimes it may be important for the organizations to take a step back and and really do a true assessment. Is this deal and the vision that they had in the initial analysis, is that carrying out as we continue through that transformation? Also minimizing disruption to operations, right? Because a lot of times integrating with a new deal is something that a lot of our folks that are focused on day-to-day operations are are handling, right? And so we don't want to disrupt a current business as we're integrating new businesses. And then lastly, something that may be deprioritized uh, by organizations is really thinking about governance and change management. As we think about the organizational engagement and structure, having various stakeholders, whether that be boards or operating committees, making sure that we really account for the engagement with those different bodies, maybe even with shareholders as things start to be announced more publicly, having a robust change management and communications approach is going to be really important. A lot of times these deals move really fast and things can get really tangled quickly. And so as we're communicating with both the employees, the shareholders and other stakeholders, it's crucial that those change management and communication plans are are intact. And then I think just the last point around this is really thinking about transparency. It's just imperative that the deal makers are really transparent about you know what's happening and really trying to be true partners to make it work. We may see sometimes people keep things close to the best and maybe not honest about the intentions of their deal. But I think bringing that transparency to life and really continuing to communicate the vision and deal rationale with those involved really makes it successful in the end. That's such a good point, Kevin. And I think about we've, we've been on those deals where the folks know what's coming, but they're not being communicated to. And too often their minds go to deep, dark places. And you may have the best deal on paper, but when, at the end of the day, if the folks aren't really being spoken to in, in a transparent way, I think it can really present risk to the deal, both pre-close and post-close. So treating them like adults, valuing the people and having that clear communication channel is key. Even if you don't know what to say and don't know the plan, Sharing what you know and when you expect to get the plan is key. It's all these points that Kevin made. Plus, I think culture can't be underestimated, especially when you're getting two very diverse organizations. Like we talked a little bit about 
the activity that we've seen within CVS. I mean, that's one of many where we're seeing these vertical integrations and you know, knowing that there has been so much activity around this convergence movement. I definitely think I would add culture to this list as well and ensuring that not only communication, but understanding what it means when you're bringing two very different organizations together that may have very different incentives, very different ways of approaching the market, thinking about the market, thinking about who their customers actually are and how you start to marry all of that up beyond just the change management piece, because ultimately it needs to be a cohesive organization. I'm reminded of some of our clients and some of the successful integrations that they've embarked on really focusing on that culture integration component and making sure they're starting with that, the why and and their mission and vision and making sure that's communicated up front and throughout. All this talk about really making sure you have a clear understanding of the different audiences, the different types of organizations, the nature of their incentives and how that factors into your communication around the deal and your overall strategy has me thinking that there's probably not a one size fits all approach when it comes to really maximizing the value of these deals and partnerships. I'm curious around like, what are some of the common archetypes we're seeing in the space and the different tactics that make them more or less successful? We view our clients in this space in kind of three different buckets. There's the deal machines, if you will, the deal dabblers, and the folks who are somewhat the noobs, deal noobs, figuring it out. They have some background. And we've helped different types in those profiles at different aspects of the of the deal. You know, you think about these large mega deals. This is where you've got large teams coming in to do snippets of the deal continuum. So if you think about the deal lifecycle being your deal strategy, your deal assessment, pre-close planning, and then post-close integration, a lot of times you have these big armies kind of coming in, executing components of that, and then leaving and leaving large documentation behind or very little continuity in those types of approaches. The mature organizations we see account for that upfront, make sure that they've got deal champions and folks kind of threaded throughout those components of the deal lifecycle. Sometimes it's not enough participation from the key business areas. So they have frameworks and governance models to ensure the folks who are going to own these areas are brought in up front. And really the, those deal machines, they're the ones who are really built out this deal muscle. They have the deal councils, they have governance structures to account for those components along the way. And I think that means just being really surgical and how you seek your external support, making sure that you have from our perspective, more the continuity across with smaller teams, leveraging your team where you can, and then flexing up where needed. Thinking about those different profiles really comes down to just a, a couple of common threads as we think about keys to success with folks pursuing deals. One, it's really just making sure that their integrations have a clear plan for value and synergy ownership. Too many times I've seen deals be at the end of post-close integration and just now starting to reference a, a synergy assumption that was a core component of the deal. And, and usually by that time, you know, it's way too late. So making sure that there are adequate check-ins and evaluation cadences of that business case to make sure that all those assumptions are met. And then of course, you know, making sure that there's a deliberate focus on culture and the teams and people that are involved. A lot of times these deals involve large amounts of people moving into another organization. And so making sure that we don't lose sight of, of the culture components and making sure that we're bringing those individuals along 
on the journey so that they can also contribute to making the deal successful. I think you'd be surprised at how often you see the deal go through and then never really reach an integration. You can see now, but folks kind of looking back, there are clients and organizations out there looking at ways to potentially unlock some prior value that got trapped because of a deal that went through, was successful, but never really fully integrated. Yeah, Sean, and I think when we've seen that, right, it comes down to people, process, and technology. And so you think if you're not doing that integration at a fundamental level, how do you start to think then about the opportunities that lie ahead? Things from changing your go-to-market strategy or changing the way you think about your customer approach. I mean, all those things are kind of predicated, right, on the integration. And time and time again, I think we've seen that it's almost like there's so much thinking that goes on up front about the deal itself, but then what happens after the ink is dry? Another thing to really consider, though, is regardless of where an organization may be on their deal journey, there's always an opportunity to recoup losses or reset on a trajectory that may not be working. Sometimes clients may get into a cyclical or just very stringent detailed plan and, and not reset and adjust course if needed. That's where we also provide a lot of value at times is coming in and suggesting recommendations on things that maybe weren't done in the last phase. Like maybe they do move forward in a post-deal optimization cycle of sorts, really to recoup that value and make that deal successful for the shareholders and employees of the organization. The debate on are we in an uptick, I think will continue. But as we step back and look, there's an adage or belief out there that I think is not fair that some of these large companies have money burning a hole in their pocket. And you know when's that big deal going to come? But I, I don't think it's that simple, right? The deals will come that add value. If they're not doing deals or doing something else with that cash, stock buyback, that sort of thing. So I think the point here is that the deals will come, even in a tough environment like this, and likely on our uptick, but doing the deals in a thoughtful manner with these components thought through upfront and really being purposeful with how we improve the muscle of the deal. Thank you so much, Kevin and Sean, for joining Mindy and I on the podcast today. It's been really great to be able to explore behind the headlines. We hear all about these different types of deals, these mergers, these acquisitions, these partnerships. We see the dollar value, but it's great to explore what thought goes into it, what makes some of these more successful versus others. For our listeners who are interested in learning more about the work Dynamic does in deal activation and partnership enablement, check out the links in our show notes. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.